0: If you've got your Bible with you, please open to Psalm 84. Uh, Psalm 84 is where we're going to be spending our time uh, this morning. Uh, this is the last in our series of the Psalms. Uh, next week, uh, well, I'll talk about the series that we're going into a little bit uh, when we get into the sermon this morning. But we're going somewhere new next week. Uh, this is, uh, as I said, the last in the series of the Psalms. Psalm 84. Uh, if you've got a, a Bible there, you'll notice the title is "To the Choir Master According to Griffith, a Psalm of the Sons of Korah." Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts? My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My flesh, my heart, and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home on a swallow, a nest for herself, for she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Salah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For, one, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray before we open up God's word together. Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it, it has been penned through the very power, through the very third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that because that means we can trust it. It is directly from you. We thank you for it. Father, we pray this morning as we just look at Psalm 84 together, that you will speak to us. Father, through through the person of the Spirit, you would be present with us now. Help us to focus on who you are. Help us to focus on what you've said. And help us to live lives on the back of that based on what you've told us. We need your help. We need your help in this room right now to speak. Nothing that is said that is not of you will stand. We need you. Father, we pray for our church this morning. Pray for our church family here. Father, this word blessed keeps coming up in this text. And Father, I pray that you would bless the church gathered here in this place. Father, for those who aren't with us this morning, I pray you would just bless them wherever they are. And Father, I thank you for this church. I thank that you have brought it together. You are sustaining it. And you are leading it. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, this morning, as we get into Psalm 84, I want to ask you a question uh, as as we begin. And I'm sure as I ask this question, there would be a range of answers to this question. So here's the question. What is your best day ever? What's the best day that you've ever had? Like think about that. that, that, that that's, for some people it'll be when they get married, for some it won't. Uh, you know, there, there could be a range of, of, of answers to that question across the room. Uh, what's your best day? Well, let me tell you a story. We were in Spain this summer. Uh, because Obviously, you, you already know that we were in Spain on our holidays because if I have any on your social media, you'll know that because Gail's on social media and therefore you'll know. Uh, but... We were in Spain this summer, I, I, I tell you, I, I walked up to somebody, somebody uh, uh, it was a football couple of weeks ago, and they were like, oh, you're in Spain, and I was like, how do you know? But we were, we were there for a couple of weeks, and one day we went to this little, lovely little beach, now, a couple of things, I hate beaches, right, I don't like them, they're all sandy, and the sand gets places the sand shouldn't get, let's just be honest, there should never be sand and places. Uh, but I don't like them, so there I am. We're at this beach. I don't like beaches, and I, I, I'm not a big fan of the water. I like the water; it's okay. So we're at the beach. I'm being my normal grumpy self. It's like 42 degrees. Place is hiving, which again, I'm not that fussed on people. So, uh, uh, just pl- people everywhere, sand everywhere. It's not great, right? So I'm there, being my normal grumpy self, and we we're supposed to go. And I got this wrong in the first service, and I was corrected very, very quickly. I had scuba diving. What we did apparently was snorkeling. Apparently, they're two different things. all right. Very different. One involves a tank of like... <laughs> but anyway, they're different things. So we were going snorkeling. And I had to be coerced into this snorkeling business. right? So I wasn't going. It was grumpy. Didn't like it. Not a, but do you know what? I got into the water. And I went out a wee bit. And we went to, oh, got the wee masks and all. Whatever they're called. And we went out and into the water. And it was amazing. I mean amazing. I went out... Look, you could, the water was clear, we were snorkeling, you could see fish underneath you, it was, oh, it was brilliant, right? Brilliant. After me being my grumpy self and saying I wasn't going to do it, I come back in and the words that come out of my mouth, as it, and Julian all rightly predicted that this would happen, uh, I come out of the water and I was like, that is one of the best things I've ever done, one of the best things that I have ever done, right? Julie wasn't so fussed but it was one of the best things I'd ever done and, and later, a t- couple of weeks later the Murrays went there right? the Murrays were there also, they went out did their snorkeling thing enjoyed it apparently, but then when we come home we're all home and I worded back to them that I said this was one of the best things that I'd ever done and Daniel Murray, being Daniel Murray says, John, you haven't done very much <laughs> now that's maybe the case All right, that might be the case And I don't know if as you get older, you appreciate things more. Julie said she she couldn't see any colors in the fish. I saw at least two colors, black and white, all right? So they were lovely. In my eyes, they they were fantastic. One of the best things they'd ever done, right? The sons of Korah in Psalm 84 say the best thing that they could ever do, the best thing that they have ever done Or could ever dream about doing was to sit in the courts of the Lord. They would rather be a doorkeeper than spend a thousand days anywhere else. This morning, this psalm comes to us in a context. Psalm 84 is best understood when it's put in its proper context. And as I read there, I give you the the description. It's a psalm of the sons of Korah. And what, what that means is that these were a group of people who were set aside for the specific purpose of writing and singing to King David. And what had happened was a foreign king, Absalom, had come and tried to usurp King David and take the land. And so, what happens is King David and his uh, the sons of Korah and those who were close to the king are, are fleeing. They're fleeing Jerusalem. They're on the run. It is a dark, miserable, brutal time. They're in exile. They're across the Jordan, away from Jerusalem, away from the temple, and it is miserable. Now you and I can probably recognize miserable times in our lives. Sometimes they come in brief periods. Sometimes they come and they last a little longer. Sometimes they come and they seem as if they're never going to go away. But it is in this context that this psalm is written. And what the sons of Korah do in in writing this psalm is that they express Confidence in God, even though they're in some of the darkest times that they've ever been in. They are running away, they are fleeing, they are in exile. And here they have the written this psalm and it expresses confidence in God, trust in God, satisfaction in God. And sometimes we can personally feel in these times and darkness and, 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 and miserable and, and brutal hard times, but sometimes we can also feel them as a nation where we feel that the nation is turning its back on God. We know what it's like to face hard times. We know what it's like to be in misery. We know what it's like. And it is in that context that we read this psalm. That context. And what's the first thing they say? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. It's really interesting. That in the context where these people have fled their home, fled their comfort, they've fled wealth, they've fled security, they're looking back at all of that and they are saying, how lovely is your what? Dwelling place. Remember, remember, once they've fled, once they're in exile, once they've moved away, they've they've moved not only from all those things, from their home, their comfort, their security, their, their wealth, all of that, but they have fled the temple. They have fled the temple. Now, Wherever they are, they can praise God, they can write Psalms, they can pray, they can can do all of that, but the one thing they cannot do when they have fled the temple, one thing they cannot do when they are in exile, is this, worship. They can't. Because remember, we're talking about Old Covenant, Old Testament worship here, and Old Covenant, Old Testament worship is specifically tied to sacrifice. And where is the one place that you can make the sacrifice? The temple. The temple. And they can't do it. They can't worship with the rites and the rituals and the means of grace. Or as John Calvin puts it, the ladders to the steps of heaven that are required to worship God in the Old Testament. And so they are yearning for that. You can feel it here in the language. They they long, they faint. There's a a real language of, of thirst What do you yearn for? What do you long for? These sons of Korah are not saying, how lovely is my home. How lovely is my comfort. How lovely is my financial security. How lovely is the peace that I enjoy. No, they are saying, how lovely are your courts. Because that's where you are. That's where you have placed your name. That's where you, the Ark of the Covenant is there. That's where you hover between the cherubim. That's where I worship you. How lovely are your courts. And I suppose it's a bit like everything, really, in life. Uh, The loss of this has focused their attention. The loss of it has focused their attention. It's like the old saying, I know there's a couple of songs with this lyric in it, uh, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And for the sons of Korah, they're looking back at what they're missing and now all of a sudden it's in sharp focus. They are missing the temple, they're missing worship, they're missing praising with God's people, they're missing it all. In this time of loss, they're starting to recognize what's valuable. Gathering with God's people in that place that God has set aside for for this to happen. It's a real language of thirst here. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, to me. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. that's what it meant for them it meant they were looking back at Jerusalem looking back at the temple and yearning and appreciating what they had but what does it mean for us? when you're you're doing any hermeneutics that basically means Bible interpretation or, or communicating the Bible it's really important that you look at both the there and then and the here and now So we've looked at the there and then, what it meant for the people, what it meant for the sons of Korah. But what does this mean for us? What's the application here for us? Well, the most obvious application is this, is do we look at what we're doing now with the same yearning, the same longing, the same affection as the sons of Korah looked to the temple? We're going to spend the next five weeks, five, six weeks doing a series, and it's a bit of a different series than what I initially planned for September. We usually do core values, but I felt over the summer that this was what we should do. What we're going to do is look at what, so in the Old Testament, the ordinary means of grace in the Old Testament were temple worship, right? In New Testament times, we have been given what theologians call ordinary means of grace. Right? The series, I come up with this title all by myself. It's very, 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 very very, wonderful. It's called Life in the Ordinary. Brilliant. Right? What we're going to look at is how God in the New Testament has given us these ordinary means of grace that we do when we come in here on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. What we're doing now is not just turning up in a building, having a crack, singing a few songs and going home. There's something significant about what we do. The ordinary means of grace are prayer, we pray. They are hearing the Bible read and preached. They are worshiping, singing together to the Lord. They are communion, they are baptism They are gathering with God's people. These are the ordinary means of grace that God has ordained in the New Testament and for us that are exactly that, a means of grace. Now, with that being said, let me ask you this. Is this a priority for you? Is this a priority for you? And I mean a priority. I don't just mean when something else isn't on. Or we don't have a better offer on the table. Because this is significant. I know, I know we're casual. And, and sometimes we're, you know, we're casual in, our, in, in many, many aspects. But I don't want us to be casual in our worship. This is significant. Let me tell you a bit of a story from my sabbatical to illustrate the point. I was advised during sabbatical to not be here, all right? It, you didn't see me for a couple of months. It wasn't because I didn't like you, all right? Just, let's be clear. Just quell that rumor, all right? Just shut that one down. It's not just because I didn't like you. I was advised not to be here. So in that period, what I did was go to other churches, Right. And I want to say this, there is nowhere I would rather be than here. And there is no group of people that I would rather be with than this group of people. Even in the hardest of times, and there have been some hard times. Because I did walk into, I went to other churches and I went to other places. And there, for me, there's nowhere like here. And that's just me. Like, I know I'm biased. But there is no other group of people that I would rather do church with, be communed with, than this group of people. And I'll say this, I'm saying this as outside of, I'll say this as outside of leadership, right? I'm taking my elder hat off. I'm taking everything. I'll not, just take the hat off. Just, I'll just take the elder hat off, I'll not doing anything else, but I want to say this, and I'll say, it collectively, we do not know what we have. We don't. I said it in the first service, one of them's away, but I'll say it now, we have some of the best worship leaders in the country, and we take it for granted. Like I look up here this morning, Jude's on the drums and Molly's on the... Like we take those things for granted. Last Sunday night we had a prayer time, a prayer, a, a prayer and pizza night. Uh, and we had... The room was filled with kids. And those are things that other churches could, dream, could only dream of. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, to me. How do we view what we do here? Do we view it flippantly, or do we take it the way that it is supposed to be taken, as a a means of grace from God? But what do we find the psalmist saying that he is given here in this psalm? Well, one thing. The the language very much speaks to is security. My heart and my flesh, pick up, sing to the living God. Why do they sing for joy in a setting that I've just described, in the context that I've just described? How can they sing that? How can you sing... When, when things are at their lowest, how can you? When, when, when things are at their darkest, how can you sing? You can't do that in yourself. There's no way you can do that in yourself. So it's obvious that God is helping them. God is helping them because there's no way in this reality they could sing on their own. They couldn't endure this trial, being exiled, being taken away out of their nation, being taken away from the temple, and doing singing this on their own. They can't. God's helping. And so there's a few things I just want to pick up on. One, one is that security element. And, and look at what they do when they, when they reflect on the temple. Look at what they say. It's strange. My soul, verse 2, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Verse 3, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. What they're saying here is is look at the birds of the air, look at the birds in the temple. Even the birds in the temple have security. And they're secure in God. Even in the midst of their trial, they are looking back at the temple and saying, I want that security. Not from myself, not from any other source, but from God. Look at what they say. Blessed are those. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. What they're looking at is some of, the, some of the people have stayed behind, and they're saying blessed are the people who get to stay at home and live life the way that we lived it and enjoy life the way that we enjoyed it. Blessed are they. And the word in the Hebrew here is very, very important. Blessed. It means full, happy, fulfilled, enriched, satisfied. That's what it means in the Hebrew. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're free to worship you. They're free to sing praise to you. They are secure. They are secure. And there's a phrase here, An interesting phrase that's used a couple of times in this text. And it's Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts. That's the second time as we go through verse 3. It's the second time that it's used. What does that mean? Well it means this. That God as the Lord of hosts brings all those hosts of heaven to bear in bringing security for his people. It's a picture of God's security. You see, the reality is this, folks. Most of the time, dare I say it, 95% of the time, we don't see God's protecting hand in our lives. But it's all around us. Even in this room right now, we are told that there is a spiritual battle going on. That's just true. There's a battle for your mind right now. There's a spiritual battle for your mind right now. Satan wants to take your mind somewhere else. Satan wants to put your mind on something that you're doing this afternoon, or something that you did this morning, or something that you'll be doing tomorrow. God, on the other hand, wants you to focus on His Word. There's a spiritual battle going on, and God is all around us. Things are all around us all the time. There's a story in the Old Testament, just speaking of God's security for his people. There's a story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings 6. If you get a chance this afternoon, go and read it. 2 Kings 6. And it talks about a a foreign king who wants to take out the prophet of God, who is Elisha. And he wants to destroy him. Elisha obviously has said things that he doesn't like, and so he wants to destroy him. And so he finds out where he is, and he's in a city called Dothan. And so he sends this foreign this foreign king, sends horses, sends chariots to take the prophet out. Now Elisha has a servant called Gehazi. And he wakes up in the morning and he goes out and he sees that the city is surrounded. And he comes back into Elisha and he panics, as most of us would. He panics and he says, Elisha, what are we going to do? How are we going to face all these this, this full army? And these are Elisha's words to him. Don't panic. There are far more with us than with them. Now, I'm sure Gehazi in that moment was thinking, you're nuts because... There's literally only you and me. And I looked out there and there's armies everywhere. Elisha calmly prays and says this, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And we're told that the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, Gehazi. And he saw that Elisha was surrounded by thousands and thousands of horses and chariots of the Lord when they attacked, elisha prayed, and the armies of the foreign king were struck down. We are more protected than we could ever imagine we don 't see it most of the time. Think of the New Testament equivalent where the apostle Paul is in prison. And he simply prays and the the ground shakes. And the shackles fall off and the doors are open wide. Folks, we can know what it is to have this security in God if we are in Christ Jesus. Because if we are in Christ Jesus, no matter what happens to us here on this earth, we are safe and we are secure. No matter what circumstances come our way, we are safe and we are secure because we're in God's hands, and He will will whatever He wills for us. These few verses, as I say, they seem strange, speaking of sparrows finding homes in the in the temple, but that's what it's speaking about. It's speaking about security, safety. And that's where we, what we can have if we're in Christ Jesus. Not only does this psalm speak of, of safety and security, but it speaks about strength. There's another thing that comes to the mind of the sons of Korah when they, when they look back at the temple. They say this, "'Blessed are those whose strength is in you, "'whose strength is in you, "'and whose hearts are the highways to Zion.'" As they go through the valley of Baca, they make a place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. What on earth are they talking about? What are they talking about? What comes to the people of God in the places where God has put them? This is a difficult place. A hard place. And the sons of Korah say, blessed are those whose strength is were in you. Where does your strength come from? To deal with whatever you're facing right now. And I said at the 9.30, I I catch myself on sometimes because I say things like, if you're going through a hard time right now, let's just be honest. No matter who we are, no matter what stage of life we are at, no matter, we're all probably going through some hard stuff. Where do you get your strength to face it? Perhaps it's difficult circumstances in business. Perhaps it's difficult circumstances in family. Perhaps it's difficult circumstances in your own health. It could be any amount of things, but where do you get your strength? The sons of Korah say, Blessed are those whose strength is, is, is were In the Lord. See, this is where you'll hear me yapping on and on and on, and I will... Pound this nail until I am done. This is why the self-help movement fails. You cannot look within yourself and find the strength to live this life. It's impossible. Look inside yourself and you find yourself. I, what? Like I'm not like playing hide and seek with myself for a start. Like I don't I don't understand like, I don't understand much of it, but it's nonsense we a follower of Christ. We're told we're to find our strength. It's not in that. It is in the Lord. That's why the self-help movement is a fallacy in itself. It just doesn't work. Verse 5 and 6 are a bit, if you've got your Bible open looking at them, uh, they're a bit strange. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. What on earth are they talking about now? Well, what they're talking about is possibly better understood in the NIV translation, right? Now, let me do a bit of Bible, like, Bible teaching here, on, on, especially on translations, right? As I said, this is possibly better understood in the NIV translation. What is the NIV translation? The NIV translation is not, hear me, not a literal translation of the Bible. It is what's known as a dynamic equivalence translation of the Bible. And what a dynamic equivalence translation is, where they get a, for example, here in the Hebrew, they'll get a thought. And they will translate it to another thought. Alright? What a, what a literal translation is, is a word for word, literal to the dot translation. That is what the ESV is, which we read from on Sundays. One is a dynamic equivalence. One is a literal. I am not saying one is bad and one is good. I am just saying they are different. They are different. So sometimes for us to understand things, let me read to you what the the dynamic equivalence version is from the NIV. It says this. It says this in the ESV: Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts are the highways to Zion. NIV says whose hearts are on pilgrimage. What's the difference? The difference is this. The psalmist is trying to get across this thought of blessed are those who realize they're not here forever. Blessed are those who realize that they're not putting down roots here. That this is not their home. Blessed are you when you realize that this is not all there is. There's something coming that's better. That's what they're saying here. Blessed are those whose Whose heart are the highways designed? You're looking forward as they go through the valley of Baca. The hard times—that's what that's saying. The hard things. When they go through the hard things, they're looking forward to something that's better, and they're not here forever, folks. This is one of the biggest battles that Christians face today. It is one of the biggest battles, and I think we need to fight this on a daily basis. The way that our culture is set up, the way that our world is set up at the moment is telling you every single day that this is all there is. Make the best of it. You are bombarded with that message. Every single day. Do all you can to make this as comfortable as you can and as good as you can because this is all there is. Buy the stuff. Get the security in what you have because this is all there is. And the sons of Korah want to say to us this morning, blessed are you when you remember that this is not all there is. There's better to come and spend your time here worshiping, serving King Jesus. Let me be really honest with you this morning. I'd be really honest with you and then you expect some honesty in return. As I say, this is a fight that we have to fight every single day. And this will affect some of us more than others. But let me be really honest. The more time you spend on social media, the less content you will be with your life. The more time you spend on social media, the less content you will be with your life. How do I know? Because that's the way I am. And I'll give you an example. Right, here's an example. Here's me burying my soul. If you were to go onto my Instagram account, which is full of fabulous pictures of me, right? So, if you were to go on, if you go to go my Instagram account, and you're going to the search section, right? It brings up photographs of, of what you search for. It's got an algorithm in it, apparently. Whatever one of those is. Things. Oh, witchcraft to me. But anyway, it knows. It knows. It's listening to you. It's listening to you. Don't think it's not listening. It's listening to you. Anyway, if you go in there, what you'll see on my... I guarantee you from top to bottom, what you'll see is bikes. DJ, don't look at me judgingly, because you're the same, only you don't have, only you don't have social media. <laughs> but what you'll see is bikes. Literally what you'll see is bikes. New TT bike. Oh, mad keen and that other month. But <laughs> new TT bikes, mountain bikes. I don't even like mountain biking. No offence to her. But uh, I don't, I, like bikes, just bikes. And so when I go on there and when I look at that, what does that do to me? That has an effect on me. What does it make me? It makes me discontent with what? My old bike. Which is brilliant. Don't stop agreeing with me because you're bad. <laughs> but that's the, just the truth. It makes you discontent. Now, for you it may not be bikes. For you it may be houses. For you it might be cars. For you it might be hairstyles. Only joking. But whatever it is, I guarantee you the less time you spend on it, the more content you will be. Folks, the world is trying to tell us something, the world is bombarding us day and daily. Don't be content. You need more. You need more. And the sons of Korah are telling us, no, you don't. Remember, you're not here forever. You are passing through. You're passing through. So we have security. We have strength. And finally, we have satisfaction. Listen to these words. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Let me build on that sort of illustration a wee bit of pilgrimage, of moving through. As we move through life, we accumulate. We just do. If you ever wanna if you ever wanna know how much you accumulate, move house. Move house. We did it a couple of years ago. Oh my days. Stuff, just stuff. We accumulate. But we have jobs which are a good gift from God. We have homes, good gift from God. Cars, good gift from God. None of these things are bad things. None of them. Hear me. None of them are bad things. But what's better? What's better? Better, says the sons of Korah, is a day in your courts, What's better? A day in your house. Let's not get confused about what's better, folks. Let's not let the culture dictate to us what's better. Let's not be confused about the accumulation of stuff is better. It's not. What's better is being with Jesus. What's better? Look at our life. Look at our lives. Look at the way we live. What are we screaming is better? Let's not be misguided. Let's not be confused. Let's not be tempted. Let's not lose sight of what is actually better. The sons of Korah say I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Where was the doorkeeper? The doorkeeper was on the outside. He was close, but he was on the outside. The good news of the gospel is this. We're not on the outside. The good news of the gospel is the story of the prodigal son. We're all prodigals, by the way. Let's not kid ourselves. The most moralistic, good life you've lived, we're all prodigals. The good news of the gospel is the prodigal son. When the prodigal son arrives home, does the father say to him, you can be a doorkeeper? No. What the the father does when we arrive home, he says, come on in. You're home. Come on in. Come on in and I'll, I'll give you a robe to wear. Come on in and I'll give you a ring for your finger. Come on in and I'll give you a seat at the table. Come on in and we'll have a feast to celebrate the fact that you're home. That's the good news of the, the gospel, folks. The good news of the gospel is that when the sons of chorus say, you know, it's, it's better that I be a doorkeeper. We don't have to sing that because we can sing. It's better that I actually get a seat at the table with King Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. And in that light, what's better? What's better? To sit at the table of the king or to have all that this world offers? Folks, there's no choice, no comparison. one day we'll sit if we're in King Jesus we will sit with him and look into his face and see what he has done for us and we will be overwhelmed with love for him. Let me pray first. Father thank you for your word. Father just as he's sons of Korah were able to look at the temple and say, how lovely is your dwelling place. We can thank you that the dwelling place of of God is now with man in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we thank you for that reality in Christ. But Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Speak to us about where our priorities are and and what we're doing and how we're living. And help us to love you. Help us to love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.